six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. And I will be your host for the hour. Etsy Denure is off this week. With one month left before the midterms, Wisconsin is in the spotlight. We are a 50-50 state, which means in certain races up and down the ballot, Republicans and Democrats both have a chance of recapturing seats in our gubernatorial, congressional, and legislative races. These elections have broad implications, as many important policy questions are up this cycle. Issues like reproductive health, inflation, public safety, and many others are top of mind for the people of Wisconsin. And with less than 30 days left, things are getting heated. If you're on any sort of internet connection, you have probably seen the hundreds of ads that have littered the airwaves in between football games, YouTube videos, Facebook posts. We cannot get away from politics or more specifically, the attack ads that fuel campaign season. So today, we wanted to talk a little bit about that, about investigative research and attack ads and how the two have played a part in shaping this year's campaign cycle. My first guest is David Armiak. David is the research director at the Center for Media and Democracy. The center is a progressive nonprofit watchdog and advocacy organization based here in Madison, Wisconsin. CMD publishes exposedbycmd.org, sourcewatch.org, and alecexposed.org. Thanks so much for being here, David. David. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Big fan award and you as well, Nada. Oh, thanks so much, David. We're a big fan of you. I want to first start off by talking a little bit about the important work you do. What is the Center for Media and Democracy and your role there? Sure. Um, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, so our you know mission is uh, educational. So you know I would say you know uh, characterizing us as an advocacy group would be um, inaccurate, um, but that's all right. Um, <clears throat> but we you know do a lot of investigative research, um, and we consider ourselves to be you know a, a top you know government and corporate watchdog both here in Wisconsin um, and nationally. Uh, our main investigations, you know, focus on the American Legislative Exchange Council, which I think, um, you know, we'll talk about later, um, and campaign finance. So election time, um, you know, right now, you know, the, we're, we're quite busy following the campaigns and, and tracking, trailing the money trail. Um, and mm-hmm. we also look into, you know, right wing networks um, of nonprofits and their funders, um, and climate denialism, misinformation campaigns, disinformation campaigns. Um, you know, our scope is pretty large. Yeah, it sounds like it. We see this word a lot. I mean, I've seen it in publications uh, and online, but what does it mean to be a watchdog? Uh, it, it just means to, you know, spend your day, <laughs> in, day in and day out, um, you know, focusing on those in power um, or those mm-hmm seek to influence those in power. Um, so, you know, we, we spend a lot of time reading, we spend a lot of time, or I, I for, my, for myself, um, you know, spend a lot of time filing open records requests. I file, you know, somewhere between 800 and 1,000 open records requests each year. Mm-hmm. You know, so going through those records requests um, to try to understand, you know, what's going on in government um, and the, re- the relationships between government officials and, um, you know, corporate lobbyists um, and others who are trying to influence uh, government. Yeah, so I guess an open and transparent government is really important to the work you do. 100%, yeah. Um, and, and I think that this should be something that everybody tram- champions, right? Um, you know, these people work for us in government, right? Um, the taxpayers pay their salaries, their health care, their benefits, Um, so, you know, we should know, you know, what they're up to and that includes, you know, where they're traveling, where they're going to, you know, for business, um, you know, who's, you know, funding their campaigns, um, you know, who are they meeting with, right? Who are they communicating with if they're introducing a bill, right? Um, you know, are they doing that on their own or did somebody else draft it for them or, or suggest it for them? Um, all of these things are, are things that are really important, um, and um, why, you know, we, we ourselves, you know, champion open government. And when we encounter those that are trying to hide, 
information that the public should have access to, we do occasionally litigate um, to, to get that information and to try to expand um, public records or open records loss um, so that others can, you know, take advantage of that to find out, you know, what these people are up to. Yeah, I work in the Capitol, so open records are definitely something that we, you know, pay close attention to uh, in, in, in at least the legislature. And I was wondering, you know, if you could go into some of the barriers maybe that you see in terms of transparency, uh, either in the uh, state governments here or, or nationally. Are there any laws that y'all are hoping to, to kind of um, get rid of that really have blocked the public from accessing important information? Definitely. Um, th there's a lot of challenges, believe it or not. Um, yeah. so, you know, in Wisconsin, one of the biggest challenges is that in the legislature, um, the lawmakers, you know, whether they're in the Senate or in the Assembly, are not required to retain records of the office. So, mm -hmm. you know, they can every day, I think it was Scott Fitzgerald, the former Senate Majority Leader, said, you know, every day he goes and, you know, deletes all of the records. Um, mm -hmm you know, to start his day so that there's nothing there when people request, right? So this is a huge challenge and really a, an absolutely terrible law um, that, that should be changed. Um, I believe uh, Larson from Milwaukee has, um, you know, introduced a bill to change this a number of times, um, but it hasn't been able to garner the support to get it through um, into the governor's desk. Uh, the other issue is, um, you know, as we've moved, uh, you know, and, and this is, you know, true for, for not only government, but all aspects of life, right? We moved to d digital communications and, and sharing things digitally. So in the past, we used to share paperwork or send paperwork via mail. Um, now we're sending PDFs or, or emails, right? Or, mm -hmm. or uploading things to drives, things like this. And the law is not always clear. Um, in fact, a lot of law, state laws um, do not, um, you know, really address these electronic forms of communication. So um, this is something that we've tried to do. And um, we did uh, successfully with the previous attorney general here in Wisconsin, um, you know, uh, get the law to expand to include online portals um, for, um, you know, an organization called the Republican Attorneys General Association. So we were after records from then attorney, um, or attorney general Brad Schimmel. Um, he had refused to give us those records. We knew that they were communicating on an online portal called the briefing room, wanted access to that because, you know, he's a public official. So we should know, you know, what they're up to. Um, and, he refused. So we went to court. Um, we ended up winning that case and um, were able to expand the law. So, but this is still a problem in many states um, and many places. Um, you know, in, in at the federal level, we have you know um, you know the congressmen um, are are not subject to to FOIA, for example, as well. So that's another area that's that's kind of difficult. So if you know a congressman has been you know communicating with somebody, you're unable to get those kind of communications. So. Um, there's really a lot of challenges, um, you know, when you think of when you when you're in this line of work um, and it's it's quite frustrating sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I can I can see how that would be. I You mentioned social media and online portals that aren't just, you know, uh, things that are specific to the legislature. But how has social media impacted investigative research? Because for is it for better or for worse? Because I can assume you get easy access to candidates and politicians uh, when they talk about things openly or tweet about it. Certainly we've seen in the news a lot of people uh, saying things that they shouldn't, that, that tip people off to, to, to their work and investigating it. Um, but, you know, also how do you, like, go through the spread of false information that there is now uh, with this new age of, of Twitter and Facebook it, it's a huge challenge, I'll tell you, you know, um, in, in particular because there are a large number of networks now, um, you know, and in recent years, the right has set up, um, you know, their own types of networks, you know, for sharing videos or for, um, you know, uh, communicating online, in particular when Twitter was deplatforming, you know, some politicians on the right. Um, so it's hard when you have, you know, you know, politicians, uh, and, you know, political operatives communicating on, you know, so many different types of platforms. And I, you know, I, I think it's, you know, something that we'll never fully grasp or be able to <laughs> um, fully keep up with, but we certainly try. Um, 
and you know it does give a lot of insight um you know i think into you know politicians minds or, or what they're up to when they you know freely choose to you know share photos from conferences or or to share their opinions online um or to communicate in, in Twitter threads, for example, um, about some top particular topic, because it can give you, you know, some ideas into areas that you can research. Um, mm -hmm. about misinformation online too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I personally, like, I think that, you know, misinformation and disinformation campaigns are, are some of the greatest threats to democracy um, and society here in the U.S. Um, at the moment. Um, so many people, you know, only get their information, um, you know, and, you know, I I'll use news with air quotes, although you can't see because we're on radio, but, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, that from social media um, and, and, and therefore, you know, there isn't, a, you know, there with there being so much information shared and moving around, you know, you know, through different platforms, um, a lot of people don't spend time to even open up articles or to uh, read things fully and see, you know, what the organization or to research what the organization or outlet is or who funds it. Right. Um, and so it's, it's really a challenge for folks to understand, you know, what is legitimate information? What is factual? Um, what, what has research behind it? What, you know, in terms of like hard research or academic type research, you know, that is usually peer reviewed, whether, you know, we can even find that out in some cases. So, you know, that's why we had issues, you know, um, with it during the COVID pandemic with public health measures because of the, you know, rapid spread of mis and disinformation. Um, and, and a lot of this stuff was built on campaigns um, developed um, to spread climate misinformation that, you know, we don't have climate crisis and that's overblown, blah, blah, blah. Um, and before that, you know, um, with big tobacco, right, and um, downplaying the negative effects that tobacco had on, you know, people's uh uh, livelihoods and, and health. Um, so, yeah, I think that this is this is a major issue. I, I, I by no means have any idea how to solve this crisis. Um, but mm. the Canadian democracy, you know, plugs away and tries to, you know, prevent uh, or present, sorry, um, factual um, investigative reporting that is, you know, reviewed by peers and, um, you know, is heavily sourced. Mm -hmm. Oh, we have an, an audience um, question. Uh to that thought, to what extent has privatized TV news already spearheaded this trend of public disinformation? I think I, I think that this is an excellent question. Um, you know, I you know, privatized TV stations are funded uh, either through advertisements, right, um, or they are. Uh, oh, excuse me. There's an echo here. Excuse me. Um, so privatized news, uh, you know, they, they are funded in two ways. Sorry, I got interrupted. But one way is through advertisements, right? So corporations, they, they pay for advertisements. Another way is, um, you know, through, um, <clears throat> you know, foundations or whatnot, um, you know, which may be, you know, um, termed uh, privatized or not, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, yeah, and how much money they get from one particular foundation. I, I think that they do, um, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, sort of contribute to public disinformation because they, if you're getting a lot of funding from one source or a couple of sources, you are likely to um, have to, you know, think about the, those sources of, of income in, in creating your stories. And they might have influence um, over what you do. In online media, we're increasingly seeing, um, you know, some of these outlets uh, using like paid posts from corporations, which appear as news. Um, I saw a good example and shared this, uh, you know, within the last month um, at the Daily Beast. And I'm not criticizing only the Daily Beast or other outlets that do this. Um, but on this particular post, um, it's, it was a picture of Charles Koch and a football player and they were you know, laughing and talking about how they were going to solve like homelessness or poverty or whatever. Um, there was a whole article glorifying Coke's work on this, right? Coke, of course, is the billionaire, you know, fossil fuel tycoon, um, you know, one of the you know largest influencers in you know politics here in the U.S. Um, but uh, so, you know, that's kind of what he's known for now. Um, but he's been trying to, you know, through a greed washing campaign to improve his image. Um, so this story, you know, looked like any other story, however, in small 
um, letters, uh, it said, you know, partnered, you know, with or by or something to that effect with Stand Together. Stand Together is his uh, umbrella group that, you know, includes all of his nonprofits, uh, you know, which, you know, advocates for political positions, um, but also, you know, has this sector of, uh, you know, greedwashing um, contributions. So um, if you weren't able to know that or, or to be aware of that, then you might think that that article was, you know, a legitimate you know, piece of news, um, but actually was uh, entirely produced by a corporation and his PR. Mm. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to a public affair here on WORT in Madison. Uh, this is David Armiak of the Center for Media and Democracy explaining something I've been wondering about for a while. Uh, and what's your take on what's happening on the airwaves? If you have any questions for David, please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. Uh, David, I know you do a lot of work uh, on Alec, and I was wondering if you could give our listeners a synopsis about who they are, their impact on our state legislature uh, or state government in general, and what we need to know about them as our political environment sees you know, more and more legislation that attacks things like LGBTQ youth or voting rights, CRT, be passed down uh, from state to state. Sure. Um, so... ALEC, or the American Legislative Exchange Council, is a pay-to-play organization uh, masquerading as a public charity. So they're registered as a 501c3, just like the Center for Media and Democracy. Um, and what they do is they bring together corporate lobbyists and state lawmakers a couple times a year um, and communicate with them you know, throughout the year. Um, but the main events are uh, usually in the summer and in the winter. And they hold these meetings at fancy resorts, at four or five star resorts with all kinds of amenities. Um, and it, it, they listen to, you know, mainly Republican speakers or, you know, um, right leaning operatives. And then they break up into what are called task forces. Um, and these might be on tax policy, um, the environment, education. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so they have a, a lot of different task forces. Um, and these are done behind closed doors. So you, you, you're only able to get into the task force if you, you know, registered, um, which that means, you know, you're pretty much a corporate lobbyist or a state lawmaker or possibly a staffer. Um, and behind these closed doors, you know, with no um, public, you know, input or no um, public observation, uh, they, you know, discuss policies and literally, you know, draft model legislation um, and vote on it, whether, you know, and as equals the corporate lobbyists and the state lawmakers as to whether it'll be a model bill, which will then be disseminated, um, you know, to membership, uh, and, you know, likely, you know, taken in their, you know, laptop to, you know, their state houses. Um, so that's a kind of, um, you know, brief description of Alec, um, things that they've been working on, uh, recently, um, they've been very focused on, uh, you know, pr promoting, you know, um, with a, an organ a dark money group uh, called the Honest Elections Project, which is, um, you know, registered underneath Leonard Leo, Trump's Judge, Whis Judge Whispers, uh, you know, uh, umbrella group of organizations uh, to develop model legislation around voter suppression. Um, <clears throat> so they've been working on that. They've, they're a longtime climate denial group. Um, so, you know, when they, they drew a lot of attention um, recently, um, mainly due to the Center for Media and Democracy's reporting on um, a fossil fuel boycott bill. Um, and th that came out of the last um, December 2021 meeting. That bill basically said if you um, <clears throat> or your organization um, or your company, for that matter, uh, refuse to do business with or invest in fossil fuel companies or infrastructure or whatnot, that um, you would not be able to do business with whatever state, you know, fill in the mm -hmm. blank. Um, so that bill we reported on, um, Kate Arnoff at the New Republic, you know, reported on it, called it critical energy theory, um, kind of playing off of the debates mm -hmm. around uh, CRT. Um, and th those bills have now passed in a number of states. Um, and we expect that's going to be a big issue coming in 2023. There's also been, you know, they also, have, you know, done, you know, they, they work with a lot of hate groups. They work with the Family Research Council to develop horrible or to discuss and share horrible model legislation around, you know, um, 
transgendered folks, um, you know, in the LGBTQ community. Uh, at the summer meeting, they held um, an event with uh, Susan B. Anthony's Pro-Life America, the group that wants to ban abortion, um, you know, across mm. the country. Um, <clears throat> and, and they've regularly held events um, with Susan B. Anthony. Um, a lot of insurrectionists from the, that were at the January 6th insurrection, um, you know, uh, our ALEC members or, you know, um, you know, current board members, the current national chair, Karen Fon um, from Arizona, who's the Senate uh, leader there in, in the state, was the one who led the, uh, you know, so-called fraud it or fake audit, um, partisan audit there of the 2020 election. Um, so just a lot of horrible stuff comes out mm-hmm. of this. <laughs> um, you know, they have an anti-union, anti-worker uh, you know, worker bent. They push a lot of policies to privatize education and to fund um, public schools. Um, I could really go on and on. I don't know if we have enough time. Yeah, I not for Alec. Well, we have a caller. Uh, Steve has a question for you about FCC rules. Hi, Steve. Oh, hi. Yes. Uh, hi. Uh, yes, as far as the FCC, uh, well, last year I, uh, I happened to buy a CB radio for the heck of it. Uh, just for fun, and looking at all the regulations for uh, CB radio transmissions, it, it says right in the regulations for CB radios, you you cannot lie on the air. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I guess you know the issue. There was somebody on public radio talking about this issue too about the internet, and you know, people are just free to lie on it. And for that matter, look at look at Fox. Uh, station and I, I don't say news with Fox news because it, it's just propaganda well, I, you know like Tucker Carlson the local local news on the Fox station isn't you know uh, propaganda it's regular news but when you go to the true Fox uh, station it, it, it is propaganda so to me it seems like there should be an effort to get back to regulation uh, like uh, CB radios are, are regulated. Anything you send over the internet should be like the like the airwaves, uh, like even this station, uh, WRT. You can't you can't say things until uh, after ten o'clock. Certain words. So couldn't something like that be made mm-hmm. for the internet? David. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's. It, I mean, appreciate your uh, call, uh, Steve, and and your question. You know, it's 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 really tough. Um, and you know, the, the internet is not, you know, regulated like other utilities, right? There was an effort, um, you know, years back to you know with net neutrality to try to to you know enact some regulations, you know, over the internet and 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 whatnot, but you know, eventually, you know, Trump, you know, got into office and, you know, reversed, you know, the, the progress that was made around that. Um, but we also have this, you know, sort of conflict with the First Amendment. Um, and, you know, we have, you know, the freedom to, to speak as well, right? Um, you know, the, the problem with the internet is, you know, a lot of these platforms are privately owned, right? Um, and, you know, back you know, in Citizens United, like some of you might have followed this, right? Um, the Supreme Court case, which, you know, you know, as a result allowed, you know, unlimited flows of money, you know, and our into politics. But, you know, it also said that corporations are like people, you know, so corporations have similar rights as people, therefore, um, which means that they have, you know, that since they're privately, you know, held that they are, they, you know, they're private companies and not like, you know, p- public spheres that they have, you know, kind of control over what, you know, is talked about or how things are moderated. Right. Um, so it would, it would, it would, we would need a radical rethinking of, you know, how, you know, the internet, internet is, uh, you know, currently operating, you know, for, to have some sort of regulations around speech. And I don't even know how, you know, we could moderate because there's just so many platforms, um, so many forums, all kinds of stuff, uh, you know, areas that people communicate on and to, you know, sort of uh, be able to, um, observe that and to sanction, you know, folks that are lying or whatnot would be a massive undertaking. To kind of segue on that a little bit, 
it's it's interesting that Steve asked that, and I think a lot of Wisconsinites who are on TV, especially those of us that maybe are on uh, the left or more progressive, seeing these ads specifically about Senate candidate Mandel Barnes uh, that are kind of implying that he's something uh, he's not, or uh, really uh, kind of coding uh, the attacks against him in, in racism. It seems like you... Are, are there rules for, for campaign ads on TV? Um, I think one thing that stands out to me the most is these are from uh, not just the Ron Johnson campaign, but entities that are outside of, of Wisconsin. Certainly we see uh, that as Democrat groups or progressive groups are also uh, putting these ads out in favor of Governor Evers as well. But I was hoping you could shed some light uh, specifically on campaign ads, if you will, uh, on TV. Uh, and the rules governing them, who can, you know, put them on air and, and like that. Unfortunately, it's, there's not a whole lot of rules. So <laughs> um, basically you have enough money, um, then you can, you can buy TV ads, right? Mm-hmm. Buy, buy ads. So a lot of the ads that you're seeing are, you know, what are called super PAC ads. Um, you know, they might be from Wisconsin, uh, you know, truth, which is, you know, um, primarily funded by the billionaires Richard Uline, you know, is a GOP mega donor, runs Uline Packaging Company. Um, he, you know, he's he could be, you know, um, defined as, you know, someone in the kind of Christian nationalist camp. Then you have uh, <clears throat> um, Diane Hendricks, uh, another billionaire, you know, that, who um, owns ABC Roofing Supplies, the largest roofing supply store. Um, so they're, they're the ones that are really given the most money to this pack um, to, to, you know, run attack ads. Then you have, you know, the Senate um, pack, right. Um, or the Senate leadership fund, which is, you know, closely associated with uh, Senate minority leader, Mitch McConnell and his political and political strategist, Carl Rove and the dark money group, you know, one nation. Um, so there's some, some, some groups, you know, that are running these ads, but there isn't, again, that you, there isn't a, much that you can do. However, you know, there has been have been some cases, I believe, around, you know, like defamation. So if you are purposely, you know, um, lying about, you know, someone's like, you know, something they did or that, you know, might change the way that they're you know viewed, you know, characteristically that this might be an opportunity to, you know, cut an ad. Um, but I didn't believe that hasn't been all that successful, you know, over the years. Um, and, you know, folks have tried that to try to, you know, um, remove ads. Um, but occasionally TV stations or whatnot will remove them on their own through public pressure. And that mm. might be the best, you know, sort of method. You know, if you see ads that you know are inaccurate um, or that you, you know, or that you believe are distasteful even or, or disrespectful, um, mm-hmm. free to reach out to these, TV stations and tell them that, you know, you, you don't like watching them and you, you'd like them to be off the air. Um, sometimes it works. Yeah, that is that is really good to know. Hey, we only have a minute left with you. Could you let us know how everyday Wisconsinites, uh, you know, how can they filter through the information they see and hear during campaign season and find the truth? Well, that, that's another very difficult question. <laughs> Um, you know, I think you just have to, you have to be careful, you know, with what you're reading, um, find some good outlets, you know, and reporters that you, that you, that you trust, right. Or that seem trustworthy. Um, if, you know, and you know, this, I know this can be difficult nowadays, but, um, you know, really pay attention to the sites, you know, when you read something, um, where are they getting their funding from? Um, I think that this is really important, um, to, to research. Uh, you know, even campaigns or, or um, political parties have their own media outlets now, um, and they are very hard to see, you know, um, you know, who's really behind them. Um, so, you know, be careful in reading um, and, you know, find some reporters or organizations that you trust and kind of stick with them. And you can also ask them, you know, we sometimes get, you know, readers or supporters who ask us this question, you know, who else could we read that, you know, we trust, you know, we trust your work. You know, wh- where else can we turn for information? So, um, but yeah, please, you know, continue to visit us if, um, at uh, exposedbycmd.org or follow us at exposedbycmd on Twitter um, for our reporting. Oh, thank you, David, so much. I will tef- definitely take uh, your advice myself and we appreciate you joining us today. No problem. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Uh, everybody stay ca- take care and stay healthy.
Awesome. We will now shift gears and talk uh, to a journalist whose blog you might have seen uh, that has shed important light on Wisconsin's political processes. It's certainly one that I uh, look forward to reading every week. Dan Schaefer is the writer and publisher of the Recombobulation Area, a six-time Milwaukee Press Club award-winning weekly opinion column and online publication, uh, who has also been recently published in New York Times opinion and is the expert, in my opinion, on Milwaukee area happenings and Wisconsin politics. Thank you so much for joining us, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well, Nada. Thanks so much for having me on. Always great to talk to you. Always great to talk to you. Well, first off, I mean, I am so, and I'm working in politics. Uh, I Definitely, I love a lot of these candidates, but I am so annoyed at all these ads that I'm seeing, and I'm wondering how you feel about them. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a least favorite? Uh, There's a lot of competition for that least favorite. (laughs) There has been a lot of ads. I think, you know, I saw some statistics recently that said uh, that Wisconsin's governor's race is the most, uh, has, has seen the most funding of any governor's race in the country. And I think the Senate race is in, in the top three as well. So uh, it's been, it's been hard to avoid. I try really hard to avoid the the political ads, but it's been pretty impossible mm-hmm. uh, this cycle. And it's been, it's been very ugly and it's, it's a lot of fear and it's, it's very disheartening in a lot of ways uh, mm. to see the types of messages that we're seeing. Yeah, what kind of messages uh, are you most shocked by? I mean, my my view is limited in terms of midterms. I think this is uh, maybe first or second that I've really been in tune to. But does does this election year seem a little bit more chaotic to you? What has stood out? What has stood out as the same, maybe, or as different? Yeah, I think it, it does have a little bit more of a chaotic sense to it. And I think uh, you know, the, the ads in particular that have been, been going after Mandela Barnes, I, I think, have been clearly the ugliest uh, of this campaign cycle. Um, you know, it, and we're seeing it not just not just with Mandela Barnes, but with a, with a lot of the Republican fear mongering uh, over over issues of crime, uh, over a number of issues that, that are just absolutely sensationalized. Um, you know, we saw a number of groups in the city of Milwaukee uh, come forward and say that they, they had a problem with the racist tone of the ads attacking Mandela Barnes. And, and I think, you know, we're not seeing that slow down uh, in any way uh, since mm-hmm. those concerns were raised. Yeah. Do you think those ads are effective? Do you think they've, uh, you know, uh, have impacted the race uh, either negatively or positively? Well, if if they, those ads didn't impact the race, they wouldn't be running them, right? So mm-hmm. uh, clearly, clearly, the, the spending in this race is is having an impact. Uh, you know, I think one of the one of the polling numbers that we saw kind of coming right out of the primary was that there are still a lot of people who did not yet have an opinion of Ma- Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, um, and you know, I think some of that is is to be expected. You look at a lot of these. Uh, polls where where there are you know even, even as recently as 2019, uh, there were 30 percent of people who didn't have an opinion of Ron Johnson. So I think the the focus from the from the Johnson camp in, in the months since that primary has really been to paint Mandela Barnes in a very negative light. Uh, you know, Ron Johnson isn't exactly running on his record as much as he's going after his opponent. Um, and so I, I think that's that's been a pretty discouraging uh, part of this campaign. It's, it hasn't really been, you know, it, it, it I think takes away from, you know, having an honest debate on the issues. We saw a couple of great debates uh, this past week uh, between the two candidates. Um, and, but I think, you know, we, we see so much of this noise and it and it becomes hard to cut through because I think the number of people who are who are seeing these ads, you know, watching the Packer game, watching the Badgers game, mm-hmm. whatever, are going to outnumber the people who are watching the debate just overwhelmingly. Um, so it's uh, it's a it's a challenging dynamic. 
Mm. I I think our I, I mean the governor's debate is is tonight, but the Senate debate has certainly been taking over a lot of uh, our our at least my conversations on on this political news cycle. I know the Recon Population Area published you published a really a great article on down ballot races, and I was hoping you'd give our listeners a little bit of a synopsis on you know the threat of a Republican supermajority of the importance of of legislative races and. If our uh, if there are any seats in your mind that you think will flip, yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of focus this week on the top of the ticket, whether it's through through debates and polls and forums and all that. There's plenty of attention being paid to the Senate race, to the governor's race, um, but I think just as important are are the races happening down ballot. Uh, and I think in Wisconsin this year, we're uh, and I you know it's it's the first year under new maps. So that that creates a, an opportunity uh, for for a reset, perhaps uh, that we may may have been hoping for uh, as the redistricting process unfolded. Unfortunately, the maps that were ultimately adopted were the ones introduced by Republican leadership, uh, and they took what many considered to be the worst gerrymander in the country and made it even worse. Uh, so many of the districts that were you know trending towards the left were going to be competitive. Uh, and have been competitive. We're talking about places like the Milwaukee suburbs in particular, where there have been some assembly seats flipped by the Democrats in the last couple of election cycles. Uh, we really saw the Republicans move the goalposts uh, in, the, in those races. And so because of that, uh, because of the redistricting, there is a better chance that Republicans gain a supermajority, a two-thirds supermajority in the legislature than it is for Democrats to win a simple majority. And this, of course, being one of the most evenly divided 50-50 purple states in the country, you know, it's really startling to see the numbers uh, and the uh, odds for and the projections for many of these seats where it looks like, uh, you know, the Republicans have a real chance of gaining that supermajority. Uh, I think they, you know, it, they're, they're better than 50-50 chance to get one in the state Senate where they're just one seat away. Uh, and then there they're five seats away. Uh, in the state assembly, and that is less likely, but is is still a very real possibility. And I think, you know, I think it's flying under the radar a little bit on how much that would really impact the day-to-day -day dynamic of Wisconsin politics. You know, particularly if Tony Evers were to be reelected. Mm -hmm. What issues do you think are top of mind for the people of Wisconsin on both sides of the aisle? Yeah, so Marquette did some polling on this uh, this week, and, you know, inflation really a top issue. But you saw, you know, a top issue for both sides, but you saw, you know, some issues that are higher priority for Democrats, higher priority for Republicans. So the, the abortion rights issue uh, is was ranked at the, as the top issue uh, for, for Democrats in this cycle. And I think if you look at that issue in particular, that's the one that has really upended the midterms. And... Uh, the decision overturning Roe v. Wade, very unpopular decision to to overturn Roe v. Wade and have Wisconsin go to this uh, outdated, unclear 1849 law, uh, you know, has really been a been a major issue. And I think, you know, going into this year, the history of a midterm election, when there is a Democratic president, you expect Republicans to pick up seats. You know, just the, the mm -hmm. same way as if you have a Republican president, you expect Democrats to pick up seats. Uh, we saw that in, in 2018. We saw that in you know, 2014, 2010. Keep going back through all the midterms. Uh, you know, it's very rare for, for you know, the, the party that is in the White House to, you know, pick up seats in the House or the Senate. And I think, mm. you know, because of that, we're going into this year thinking maybe this was going to be something like 2010, where there was a, a Republican wave year. Uh, and I think because of the the Supreme Court decision and the upheaval over abortion rights, uh, I think this is becoming a very atypical midterm election year. Uh, and so I think, you know, particularly women, there's a huge gender gap, you know, in the polling uh, in, in politics in Wisconsin as well. So I think that is it is a really, really important one. Uh, I will caution, though, that I think, and I wrote this in my most recent breakdown, is that mm -hmm. abortion rights might be the top issue for Democrats, but it is not the top issue for Republic or for independents. Mm -hmm. uh, so independents have been in, in the most recent polling from September to October, 
had shifted to the right a little bit. They saw independents, you know, gain, uh, show their support a little bit more for, for Ron Johnson, for Tim Michaels. Uh, and abortion does not rank as a top five issue among independents. So I think it, it is obviously a very, very important issue for Democrats. But it is, you know, when you're looking to kind of win over some of those swing voters uh, in this election, and we know it's going to be razor thin with Wisconsin, it's always a toss up. Uh, you know, it can't, it can't be the singular focus, I think, mm-hmm. of, of some of the Democratic politicians. Well, when we are, you talk about independent voters, do you think there's something different that campaigns like Governor Evers or Mandela Barnes uh, would need to do or something they might need to do more of to kind of appeal to those those kinds of voters? Or maybe do you think, you know, how do they turn it around if it's not going in their favor? Yeah, I think I think there there's a couple things. So one, I, I do think, you know, should be a, probably more of a major issue focus in this election is just the simple issue of protecting American democracy um, and, and expanding voting rights. And I think Tony Evers has done a terrific job as governor of of being that goalie, uh, using his veto to stop some of the worst attacks on voting that we've seen from the Republicans in the Wisconsin state legislature. Uh, and then we've also seen, you know, uh, the, the other incumbent on the ballot this fall, Ron Johnson, is perhaps the biggest election denier and January 6th apologist in the U.S. Senate. Uh, So I think, you know, and we saw some polling over the weekend from CBS that suggested that people, the more that they knew about Johnson's role with the fake electors plot on January 6th, his role, you know, really downplaying uh, the events of that day, talking about the, 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 you know, playing up all of the election conspiracies that he has, uh, you know, over the last two years, independent that has really moved independent voters uh, towards Barnes. Uh, so I think that is a is definitely a key issue. And and this this is one that maybe didn't show up in the polling quite as much. But I think you know we're we're seeing a lot of ads, we're seeing a lot of campaigning that is very fear based. And I think it is important for to to for Democrats to you know counter a message of fear with one of hope. It seems very mm. cliche. Uh, to to say that, but we're seeing you know so much fear mongering from the right. We need to, I think there needs to be a more of a hopeful message uh, to counter that as well. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to a public affair on WORT 89.9 FM. My name is Nala Makashri. I'm hosting today's episode. Our guest today is Dan Schaefer, the writer and publisher of the Recombobulation Area. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. You can also tweet us at WORT Talk or reach out to a public affair on Facebook. So, Dan, the, the main kind of one of the main Um, themes of of today's show was uh, investigative research or OPL research, as we call it, on campaigns. And I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of insight about how OPL research kind of impacts you as a journalist. How do you, you know, sift through uh, the stories that people give you to to publish? Or how do you weigh the tips you get, Um, you know, especially people that are uh, you know, in this cycle talking about issues like like crime. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Barnes uh, and his team, I think, put out a story about uh, Ron Johnson's private jet use or, or dealings just, just a couple of days ago. But how do journalists deal with opposition research and how do you pick uh, what to publish? Yeah, it's it's a challenging situation because I think you're you're flooded with so much uh, information from the campaigns about uh, about what you know uh, what type of message that they want to get out there, what type of research that they've been they've been doing uh, on their on their opponents, and I think you know I think there are a lot of journalists in Wisconsin who who do write uh, a lot of those opposition research stories. Uh, when I get them, I tend to I tend not to really turn them turn them around immediately into a story. I w- if, if there's something that is a big issue that, you know, it's it, it, for anyone who has read the recombobulation area, uh, I don't write a lot of short stories, <laughs> don't write a lot of short columns. Uh, so I like to be comprehensive about an issue and I like to, you know, really take uh, a, a deeper look at things. So I think some of these opposition stories that, that you see, you know, I think, uh, I think don't necessarily always do 
the readers the best service uh, in, in, in writing those up. And I think it, it's a challenging thing because sometimes you'll get something in it. It, it is a very interesting story, but, but I think you also just as a journalist want to be responsible and add, add the full context to it uh, as well. So I think, you know, that, that becomes challenging and that there's just so much. And I think, you know, journalists this time of year in Wisconsin are, are just drinking from the firehouse uh, with all of the all of the information that we have to uh, digest and process and, and, you know, examine and fact check and, and all the different things. Yeah, just, I mean, there's a, certainly reading it gets a little bit overwhelming. I'm sure writing it as well sometimes. I'm wondering if you could give us your, your synopsis to kind of close this out on the debate li- last night for people who who didn't tune in uh, to the to the Senate debate. Who do you think won? Do you think that it will have a great impact uh, on on the on the race going forward? I know you mentioned that not as many uh you know, people tune into debates as they, they you know, do to, to, to campaign ads that are everywhere. Uh, but let us know what you think of, of the debate yesterday. Yeah, so I was, I was able to be in attendance at the debate last night at Marquette University. Uh, it was really interesting to see a debate with a live audience. Uh, yeah. The way that it was there. Uh, obviously, you know, for anyone who did watch the, the debate, there were a lot of Mandela Barnes supporters, local Mandela Barnes supporters in the audience, uh, certainly outnumbered the, the Johnson supporters, not, not exactly an unexpected thing in the city of Milwaukee. Uh, but I thought it was a really interesting debate. I thought it was, uh, you know, it, I think once again, I thought Mandela Barnes won the debate. I thought he did. I thought he did really well. Uh, and I think Ron Johnson, as he so often does, he has he has trouble answering questions from mainstream journalists. And I think he gets so comfortable in the talk radio bubble where he spends so much of his time that once he encounters, you know, a more reasonable down the middle questions that he tends to struggle. Um, and, you know, I think <laughs> I made the joke today on Twitter that Johnson came across as the angry hockey dad. Uh, arguing mm-hmm. with the referees, and I think you know that's that's the type of that's the type of uh, uh, that's the type of character he is. And I thought I also thought the the closing question uh, of the debate, which was that uh, Charles Benson of TMJ4 asked to say say something about the other candidate that you admire. And I think mm-hmm. you know, uh, Lieutenant Governor Barnes went first in that question, and and you know he said he had a very respectful answer talking about how he you know admires ron johnson as a family man he obviously provides for his his family and his children he talks about his children a lot so i I think that was a you know just a a fine respectful answer and and ron johnson (laughs) came back with the line saying you know that his you know it talked about how he had respect for mandela barnes's parents uh you know working third shift working as a school teacher but how did Mandela Barnes come to hate America like it, it's just mm. this very it's just it was a very ugly moment you don't always get a lot of good responses from that particular question and and of course leave it to Ron Johnson uh, to find a way to make that question something that is deeply polarizing and insulting frankly uh, to to the lieutenant governor yeah, that was really interesting. And certainly, I mean, he was booed immediately. Uh, I, you know, I I went to the debate uh, earlier. I think it was the, the primary debate and the audience is usually asked, um, you know, it's usually asked to be quiet. Was that kind of uh, interesting to see the audience not listening to the moderators? Yeah. Yeah, I think that was I think that was a little bit frustrating for for some of the folks, and and I think uh, Charles Benson did a really good job uh, of moderating it, and kind of kind of had that one moment during the debate where it kind of seems like you know the the dad was saying I'll turn this car <laughs> around, you know, type of type of deal. Uh, so I thought the moderator moderators handled it really well, but it, it was a little bit disrupting. But it also was really interesting to to see the reactions. Like uh, you know, I think obviously you're gonna have supporters clap for their candidate, you know, things like that. But I think there were, there were some moments where just Ron Johnson would deliver an answer, like the one where he said he was uh, being set up by the FBI, FBI and the whole audience yeah. kind of burst out laughing, 
like people just don't know what to make of, uh, you know, <laughs> these ridiculous things uh, that our, our senior senator continues to say. To say it's interesting to have candidates respond to each other in real time because you get months of ads and then seeing them both have to deal with the others is really quite fascinating. And if you've missed the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association debate last night, WRT will air the full debate during the slot 12 to 1 p.m next monday uh so you can catch up on what we've been talking about and really enjoy the entertainment that it was um as well are you looking forward dan to anything in the governor's debate tonight well it's 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 unfortunate that there's only going to be the one debate Mm. um so i think you know even just with the two debates we've seen over the last week with the senate debate i think that's been uh you know at least uh, like the first debate didn't really offer the chance for rebuttal the second one did so at least you got two two different debates two different looks at the candidates and i still think these types of debates are important and you know looking ahead to the governor's debate it's the only one we've seen so many attack ads coming from both sides and i think you have so few opportunities to really cut through the noise and hear these candidates speak to the issues so I, i'm really looking forward uh, to seeing what these candidates have to say tonight uh you know tim michaels has you know uh, governor evers did a event earlier this week with the milwaukee press club tim michaels has said no to that one so we've just seen less of him in these types of formats and i think it's going to be really important uh for voters to to really you know hear directly from the candidates and not through the attack ads, not through the prepackaged press conferences, not through the, you know, the campaign photos and events that we're seeing shared around. Yeah, I think it's just it's so important to, to hear these candidates really speak to the issues. Uh, and I think for Michaels in particular, like, he, he has, I think, struggled at times answering questions about specifics. Uh, you know, mm. we saw a story in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel today talking about how you know, he, he has he wants he's made crime the cornerstone of his campaign and, and he has been very fuzzy about what his plans are to actually address the issue. Uh, so perhaps we will uh, perhaps we'll have an opportunity to really hear from him and, and see what he has to say uh, on some of those key issues that he's been campaigning on in the debate tonight. Oh, that's so exciting. Do you have any plans for for election night? Are you going to be in Madison for the debate today? I think it's in Madison. I won't be in Madison for the debate, uh, and uh, you know I will. I'll be. I'll be in Milwaukee uh, for the for the election and all that. So I think you know we're, Milwaukee is is such a crucial city in this election. Uh, there's going to be a lot to to watch for the the largest, most diverse city in the state. Absolutely. Uh, definitely the spotlight is on it. Uh, we are so uh, honored to have you on, Dan, and have your insightful analysis of the race. If you have not checked out his blog, please do so. It is uh, just a wealth of information from things like I-94 to uh, the state supermajority. Uh, uh, it is uh, a really great place to, to find a lot of information on things that we don't talk about often or get in-depth info on. Thank you so much, Dan, for joining me today. Appreciate all the kind words. Thanks for having me on and, and always good to talk to you. Nada. No problem. Well, thank you all so much for listening to us here on WORT. Uh, shout out to News and Talk director Charlie Pittman uh, and Summer and Jade here in the studio. It was really great uh, to tune in with you and talk about all this fun stuff. Uh, I will see you next Friday. Happy voting. From the base deep down, no precision. High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street morning afternoon edition. Commandeering airways from unknown positions. Like-